late last night? Anyone? Anyone watching the Braves last night? Wearing my pearls today? We, you know, representing in the band today. It was exciting, wasn't it? You know, I felt old for a second last night, just for one second, because I realized that my oldest child, who is 22, this is the first time he can remember the Braves going to the World Series because he was born in 1999. Yeah, I felt just a little old for a second, and then I got over it. But it was a great night, super excited, ready for some more late nights this week. Uh-huh, next week, mm-hmm, yeah, it's going to be good, super excited. But today, today we're going to talk about blind spots, blind spots in our lives. And our scripture today, it comes from Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. Hear these words. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho, Jericho to gather with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was, Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. And many scolded him, telling him, be, be quiet. But he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. And Jesus stopped and he called him forward. And the people, they called the blind man, they said, Be encouraged, get up. He's calling you. And throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning, and we are so thankful to be here together in this place to worship you. Lord, we pray. We pray that today our eyes and our hearts will be open to receive what you have for us, that we will hear the good news, that we will receive it, and we will grow as followers of you. Lord, please work through me, O oh Lord my God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I never saw it coming. I was 22. I was on my way from Athens to Snellville one morning going to work. And so I was kind of, you know, thinking through my day, like, what's going to happen as I go through the day? I was teaching school at Brookwood High School at the time. And first period started at 730, which if you know me, that's super, super early for me. But here I am driving down the road trying to think through that first period of the day when all of a sudden, in an instant, it was there. It was right by my side and it sent me and my car spinning across four lanes of traffic and into the ditch. Now in that single moment, I tried to remember all those things that they teach us about what to do when you're spinning out in a car. You know, don't put your foot on the brake turn into the spin. I remember my dad saying something about don't panic, 
uh, yeah, whatever. And I think he also told me that I was supposed to pray. Well, most of the things worked. I will have to admit that I definitely did panic. I mean, like, come on, y'all, who's not going to panic? And I don't really know if I prayed or not because it was all happening pretty fast. But the it, the thing that triggered this chain of events, it was this van that was pulling out of the QT across all the lanes of traffic and it had gotten into the turn lane and it was about to merge to where I was or into my lane. And there was nowhere for me to go because again, it's going to work time, you know, in the metro area. And when my car reached it, that's when it happened. The van caught the front end of my car in just the right place, whatever that right place is apparently. And it sent me just sprawling across these lanes of traffic. And when I stopped, finally in the ditch, panicking, trying to breathe, the person who had hit me had jumped out of their van and had run, was running toward me saying, I didn't see you, I didn't see you. I didn't see you. I thought I could see. Yeah, I know you thought you could see. <laughs> but what happened was I was in the car's blind spot. Now, cars are what we usually associate with blind spots, but in truth, blind spots can happen anywhere in our lives. They're the obstruction of our sight lines. It's the space where something can be happening in our presence and we fail to see it. To just see how easily this works in our lives or how it happens, watch this video clip. To test just how much attention the attention-stealing design of the new Skoda Fabia actually steals, we left one parked on this ordinary road in West London. We wanted to see if its sharp crystalline shapes, bold lines and lower, wider profile would attract the desired level of attention. Will the 17-inch black alloy wheels stop passers-by in their tracks? Will the angular headlights attract the attention of other road users? Will a crowd gather to check out its fresh, sporty look? Well, not quite. But did the attention-stealing design distract you from noticing that the entire street has been changing right before your very eyes? Don't believe us? Have another look. Did you spot the van changing to a taxi? How about the scooter changing to a pair of bicycles? Or the lady holding a pig? let alone the fact that the entire street is now completely different. Didn't think so. Okay, so be honest, who missed at least some of the changes, if not all of them? Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what? What, what happened there? And even now, I'm like, how does the street change? Now, the small things like the scooters to bikes and the woman with the pig and the changing of the car, those are pretty subtle, and I can see how we would miss them. But, but the street, I mean, those buildings are pretty prominent, and yet we don't necessarily see them changing. Why? 
I think it's simply because we're focused on the one thing that we've been told to look at, that car that is being described. And probably in our minds, we're trying to think, like, is he really describing that car? It happens so easily that we miss all the other things happening around us. And I think this is true for a lot of spaces in our lives. And it's my hope that today's story, this one of Jesus and blind Bartimaeus, can maybe begin to help us see, to see those things that happen right in front of us that we can almost completely miss. Now, to understand the story, we have to know where we are. Now, it's in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, but it's at the very end of the passage. And this chapter focuses mainly on people who can't see things, people who can't see what's in front of them. Not long after the chapter begins, we see the disciples and they're pushing the children away from Jesus, saying, don't don't bother him. And then just down the road, we meet the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor and follow me. Well, that rich young ruler, he goes away very sad because he has lots of stuff that he does not want to get rid of. And then we get to Peter, and, well, Peter doesn't get it. Instead, he gets in an argument with Jesus about whether or not he actually has to go to the cross. And then there's James and John, those Zebedee boys, always missing out on what's going on. They just want to know if they can sit at the right and left hand of Jesus when his kingdom comes. And then we get to Jericho. It says, then they came to Jericho. And so we wonder, what are we going to see here in Jericho? Who's going to miss Jesus this time? Now, Jericho, in its own right, is a pretty special city. It's the oldest, probably known, one of the oldest known civilizations, cities in the world. It started at 10,000 BCE. I can imagine the sign when you come into town. Welcome to Jericho, the city that is old as dirt. But it's also the first city that was conquered by the Israelites when they came out of the wilderness. It's an oasis in the desert because it sits 800 feet below sea level. It's so nice that Herod made it his winter vacation home. Isn't that nice? He had his winter vacation home there. And it's 18 miles from Jerusalem. So it's kind of that last leg of the journey before you get to the holy city. It's the hometown of Rahab, the woman who let the soon-to-be invaders come spy on the city, and of Zacchaeus, who came down from the tree so he could go dine with Jesus. And of course, finally, it's that city that Joshua marched around. And what did the walls do? They fell down. You probably remember the song. It's now in your head, isn't it? You can thank me later for that earworm. Jericho is an important place. So when we hear its name, we expect something to happen here. We can't know what it is, but we just know they're in Jericho. What is Jesus going to do? But that's not what we get. Did you catch it there in the scripture? It says, then they came to Jericho, and then they left Jericho. 
in that very short span at the very beginning of the scripture in verse 46, they come to town and they leave town in about eight words. Nothing to see here. Jericho is simply going to be a pit stop. They've pulled off the road. They're going in to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And then it's time to get back on the road to go on the trip. You ever do that when you're on vacation? That's what they're doing. It's a pit stop. They're at the rest stop. It's not until they're headed back out of town that we begin to see something happen. And that's where we meet Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Bar means son. Timaeus is his family, his father. In Bartimaeus, he's not traveling on the road like all of the other people are doing. Instead, he's sitting there, overlooked by many, getting the news of the world from the conversations that are happening around him. And it's here, in this space, that our blind spots begin to be challenged. And it's here in the space that we can begin to receive a clear vision to see to encounter, and to follow Jesus. Now, Bartimaeus, as I said, is physically on the edges of town, but he's also socially on the edges of society. Yet he sees what others cannot see, and he imagines more for his life. Of course, he's on the edge of town physically because, as I said, they're on their way out of town, headed to Jerusalem, and, you know, he's sitting there on the side of the road. But he's also socially on the edges because he is blind and he's reduced to begging for his survival. More so, he's probably on the edges of society because in the first century, if you were blind, people thought that that was a punishment from God for your sin. So they didn't really want to hang out with you. So essentially, he is cut off from life, from family, and from the ability to sustain himself. He lives in a blind spot. And he's in a spot where most of us, if given his situation, if we were in it, we would probably just want to give up. But that's not Bartimaeus. When he is sitting there and he hears the people talking about Jesus coming, he shows us that he is not resigned to the space that he currently occupies in life. Instead, Bartimaeus suddenly begins to get very very loud. He begins to yell over the crowd. And the crowd, not wanting to be embarrassed by him, they say, shh, Bartimaeus, be quiet. The teacher's coming. Don't, don't, don't make any noise. You're going to embarrass us. The crowd doesn't see his need, and they don't make the connection that Jesus could even do something to help him. But Bartimaeus, he's not deterred. He won't shut up. He keeps on yelling, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. And the crowd, the crowd continues to try and block his way, telling him to be quiet. But he persists. He sees what the crowd does not see, and he begins to continue to speak these dangerous words, Son of David. You see, the crowd just sees Jesus of Nazareth coming. 
It's a neutral term. It's a place, it tells us where Jesus is from. He's from Nazareth. But Bartimaeus, he sees the son of David. That's a messianic title. Bartimaeus sees the Messiah, the Savior coming. And so the crowd keeps this attitude of hush. Don't don't say son of David. Don't say son of David. Those are fighting words in this town. You're going to get us all killed because Herod is going to hear about it. But Bartimaeus, he just keeps going. Now we look at the story and we want to think in our better selves, and we all have that better self because it's kind of easy to have that better self when we're in the cheap seats just reading the story. Well, why are they telling him to be quiet? But if we're honest, and if we were there, would we actually say that? Or would we find it more comfortable to be with the crowd? Because in numbers, it feels safe. Everyone at least appearing to be on the same page, appearing to act in a similar way, not making waves, that feels, that feels good. We like the things we know, and we like to watch the main event. And we try to keep things within the bounds of what we can understand and silence anyone or anything that challenges us and challenges our comfort. It's easy to overlook the road sitters like Bartimaeus. But seeing people outside the crowd, it's messy and it's hard. And and that's why we can overlook it. This week I was reading in a book, and I read a lot of books, I'll be honest. And so I can't tell you which book I actually read this in. Um, But I came across these words from Henry Matisse, the artist, And it said to look at something as though we have never seen it before requires great courage. To look at the people who are yelling out, son of David. To look and see what they see. That pushes us. We want to think that we always see Jesus as Bartimaeus does, but in truth, we tend to see him probably more like the crowd does. More as a teacher, a good person, one who shows us what to do. We love to hear the stories of Jesus. But sometimes we're hesitant to enter into the story and to actually see and encounter him. But like I said, Bartimaeus sees who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is desperate for an encounter. He doesn't hold back. Seeing like Bartimaeus, that can feel risky. It can feel vulnerable. Our experiences have that ability to cut us off from what we most need. He knows what he needs. But shame can make us feel as if we have something to hide The fear of creating a disruption or offending someone can cause us to keep our voices down or maybe just remain silent. We worry that the things that we say or do might chip away at our carefully curated and constructed lives. We don't want something or someone says or does 
to challenge our comfort. We try not to bring attention to ourselves. Why is that? It's a pretty easy answer. We're human, and there's no cure for being human. That's just who we are. That's what we do. We keep silent and we urge others to do the same. Because naming our needs exposes us. But in order to break through our blind spots, we have to let go of that. Because we need Jesus. We need our story with Jesus, not just the stories that we read on paper, but we need our personal story. We need an encounter with him. We can presume that Bartimaeus now, that he knew something about Jesus from the stories that he had heard sitting there on the roadside. But the words that he uses to call out to Jesus shows us that he also believes in the power, in the power of Jesus too. And so he cast aside whatever anyone else might think and he embraces vulnerability. He puts aside the fear, the shame, the worry, the whatever baggage he is carrying in order to fully encounter Jesus. And it says that when Jesus hears him call out, he stops. And he tells Bartimaeus to come. He tells the crowd, let him come to me. And then the people, now remember, these are the people that a few minutes ago were like, Shh, Bartimaeus, don't say anything. Then that crowd, they say, Bartimaeus, get up, get up, go, go, go. He's calling you. And we see Bartimaeus springing up like a jack-in-the-box. Can you see him just jumping up off the road? And he throws off his cloak and he goes. Now to us, this may not sound like much, but in Bartimaeus' day, picture would have been vivid. You see, a cloak was the most expensive thing that you could own back then. It was one of your most highly valued possessions. It was his shelter. It was his protection. It was the way that he collected money, the means by which he supported himself. And he doesn't hold on to it. He doesn't hold on to it just in case this doesn't work out just in case Jesus is not who he thinks he is. Instead, what he does is he lets go. He lets go. He's willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he asks his favorite question to ask people. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, typically when Jesus asks this question, I always think, well, doesn't the answer seem pretty obvious, Jesus? Blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Deaf person, what do you want me to do for you? Sick person, what do you want me to do for you? But maybe the question isn't really a question. Maybe it's an invitation Maybe it's an invitation to name what is heavy in our lives, to call out the things that are blocking our vision, and to let go of whatever holds us back. 
I think it's an invitation to go to Jesus, trusting that he will respond to whatever need we are bringing. Our connection, or in this connection, in this encounter, that's where the healing begins. Brene Brown is a well-known researcher. I'm sure her name is not foreign to most everyone in the room. But she writes about the intersection of vulnerability and connection. And she believes that the key to connection of people being together is vulnerability. She says that there's no intimacy without it. She says when we resist vulnerability, we're listening to the voice, wherever that voice is from, that's telling us that we shouldn't be open. And when we do this, we're denying people who are close to us by not allowing them to fully see and know us. She says we all wear masks. They are the things we put on so that we look like people think we need to be, so people like us, so we don't rock the boat, so we fit in with the crowd, so we are not alone. But true belonging only happens when we present our imperfect, authentic selves to the world. And these aren't just ideas for us today in our culture. These are true ideas that are timeless. Because the only way that we can truly encounter Jesus is when we are honest about who we are and what we feel. When we hear Bartimaeus' response, Teacher, let me see. Or as the NRSV says, Teacher, let me see again. We hear his vulnerability and we see it. He's being his true self. And you know, the word that he uses there, teacher, it's only used one other time in scripture. Just once. The word there is Rabboni. Rabboni, heal me. The same name that Mary Magdalene uses at the tomb on the day of resurrection when she realizes that Jesus is not a gardener but is actually the risen Savior. It's the word, the name he uses. It's an intimate name in a moment of complete vulnerability. Let me see again. Restore me, not just physically, but restore me to the community and to life. He names his need. Everyone at some time has to speak their truth. We can only be quiet for so long before it breaks us. And then we have to throw off the mask or the cloak or the whatever it is and say, this is me. Biting our tongues drains us. Keeping our voices low, hiding our needs, protecting those who don't really deserve it, it wears us out. But hearing Jesus' invitation and responding with belief that Jesus will heal connects us to him and to one another. Being Bartimaeus, springing up, throwing off whatever holds us back, and daring to name our need in that space opens us to an encounter with Jesus. And we can begin to see. And in responding to that invitation, we're reminded 
that we follow a God who sees us. We partner with Jesus in our healing and are connected to saving grace. Responding to the invitation, what do you want from me? It helps us move forward. Bartimaeus' healing does just this. His sight is restored. Jesus tells him to go before because his faith has made him well. But what is his faith? Was it calling out to Jesus, identifying him as son of David, throwing off the cloak, jumping up, naming his need before the Messiah? It was all these things and more. And Bartimaeus, he does just the opposite of go. He begins to follow. He chooses to follow. He moves forward with Jesus all the way to the Jerusalem, all the way to the cross. He joins him on the way, it says. He becomes a disciple. Bartimaeus, he sees what others miss. But he says the words that can define our life with Jesus. Teacher, let me see again. Jesus sees us in what sees in us what we don't see in ourselves until we do. Jesus knows our blind spots. And following Jesus is about seeing what he already sees in us. It's about realizing that we have the blind spots that limit our sight. But are we willing to turn from the crowd? Are we willing to turn from the crowd and see the people on the edges? Are we willing to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me? Are we willing to encounter Jesus saying, Teacher, let me see again? Are we willing to follow Jesus no matter where he's leading? When we dare to see the world in our lives in honest ways, we can see that our past doesn't define who we are today. But what does define us is Jesus' identity being formed in us. And we can call out, not to the man from Nazareth, but to the Savior, the Son of David. Have mercy on us. Let us see again. Let us pray. Lord God, help us to see our blind spots. Open us up to whatever hurt, whatever thing it is in our lives that is holding us back today. And help us to name it to you. Help us to see you, to encounter you, and to follow you. Because we believe you will heal us. We believe that you call us beloved and that you are just waiting on us to call out, heal us, and that you will do what is always promised. Amen.